could open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. In chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 6, uh, Jesus makes a promise to us. He didn't mean to predict the future, but it also has the other shade of meaning to, to preach Scripture, right? to foretell the future and to foretell. The scriptures. And so what we have here today is a, so if you have your Bibles, uh, we'll eventually get to uh, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. You have them up on the screen. But with all the religions that are out there in the world, um, and, you know, our, our society has changed in the last 20 years, maybe even 30, where we've gone from saying Merry Christmas and Happy um, and that's because we're trying to be inclusive and we're trying to include Kwanzaa and Hanukkah and Christmas and New Year's and all of these different events. So with all the religions out there, how do you know that Christianity is true? How can you know whether the Bible actually gives um, an accurate account in the history of the world? And so if you would like to start out by putting a ribbon or your bulletin there and John... I uh, invite you to go back towards the end of the New Testament, Second Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 16 through 21. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. For we have not followed uh, cunningly devised fables when we made it known unto you the power of and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the uh, excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard, uh, we were with him in the holy mount. We also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well, that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we get the Bible, verses 20 and 21, not by the inventions or the imagination of some prophet who lived a thousand years ago. We get the Bible directly from God. He reveals his truth to us. Now, did you see both dimensions of prophecy here in the scriptures that we just read? Uh, it talks about a future event when Christ will come back and that day star arise in our hearts. But it also has that um, aspect of telling what the Bible says. And so they were talking about this uh, very, well, I guess you would call it the pinnacle of spiritual experiences that a person can have. To see Jesus transfigured right in front of you. If you will, for a moment, the, the veil of his flesh parted and they could see all of his deity. And that was a wonderful thing to experience. 
But notice what they tell us in verse 19. We also have a more sure word of prophecy. And that's the Bible. And so what is better than that mountaintop experience? What is more confident and more trustworthy? The Bible. And so, so many people today are wanting a religious experience. And that's not necessarily a wrong thing, as long as it lines up with the Scriptures. And then you know how to measure your religious experiences. I mean, God wants all of us, does He not? He wants our mind our, our, and our emotions, too. Um, he does want to give us joy, but it has to be in line with the Word of God. So Peter then gives two evidences for why we can trust the Bible. Um, there's historical eyewitnesses. Now notice this at the end of verse 16. But we're eyewitnesses of his majesty. We're following an historical eyewitness account of truth. We're not following fables and mythology. I mean, Jesus Christ was a real person. He lived. And there were people who saw his life as he lived it in front of them, and they wrote it down, what they saw. But then we also see the record of prophetic writings, the scriptures, the Bible, in verses 21 and 22, which include prophecies that tell the future, that Jesus Christ came the first time, and he's going to come again the second time. Now, some people, uh, leading up to Christmas... They anticipate Christmas Day by marking things off in a book and lighting candles and so forth, and they call that Advent. Well, the word Advent just simply means coming. And so Christmas is his first coming. But we're going to see today in the Bible doctrines of Christmas the doctrine of Bible prophecy. Jesus says he's going to have a second Advent. He's going to come again. And because of that, we can believe in Jesus. We can have confidence that if prophecies were fulfilled first time and he's made new prophecies and new promises, they will be fulfilled the second time. And therefore, we can believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now, according to one calculation, there were 332 prophecies in the Old Testament, aren't you glad we're not going to take time to look at all of them today? That told us about the birth of Jesus. So the few that I sample today, they're not all encompassing, all right? It's just to sample them, just to show you what they were. But 332 of those were fulfilled by the coming of Jesus. Now, Sometimes if you listen to liberal critics of the Bible, they'll say, oh, that's so easy to explain because Christians wrote them and made sure that they researched them so that they could write them down and fulfill them. So they wrote the New Testament specifically to fulfill all of the Old Testament prophecies. And that's how it happened. Well, no, that's not how it happened. All right? And even the discipline of archaeology can show us that that's not how it happened. How many of you have ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Raise your hands. All right. 
The Dead Sea Scrolls were copies of the Old Testament Scripture. There is a community in Israel, that doesn't exist anymore, but there was a community in Israel called the Qumran Community. Think of them as the FedEx Copy Center. And when you wanted something copied, you would take it down to the Dead Sea and pay them money, and they would copy your documents. Well, they copied scriptures. And just outside of their community, there was a range of cliffs that had all these pocket caves in them. And one day, a little shepherd boy was looking for a sheep, and he saw this cave and thought, well, maybe I better throw a rock in there before I go in. It's pretty dark. So he threw a rock in, and there was silence for a couple of seconds. And then he heard the breaking of a jar. And that got his interest piped. What's down there? Obviously, my sheep aren't in there, but I want to go find out what's in there. Being a young kid and being the explorer, uh, he got a torch and he went into the cave and he found all these jars filled with ancient documents. And there were literally hundreds of them that were copies of the Old Testament, the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And it turns out that the dating of these documents precedes Christianity by over 100 years. So we didn't fabricate the prophecies. We didn't fabricate the fulfillment of the prophecies. We can show you through that. Now, there was a Christian man uh, down in Pasadena. His name was Peter Stoner. Uh, He was a mathematician, and he was very interested in looking at these 332 prophecies, if they were fulfilled by one person, what is the chance of that becoming reality? And so he was the chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena City College and chairman of the Department of Science and Division at Westmont College. He wrote a book entitled Science Speaks. He outlined the mathematical possibility of one person in the first century fulfilling just eight of the most clear and straightforward messianic prophecies. So how many prophecies is he going to put to the mathematical possibility? Eight out of how many? 332. So as uh, this became known, uh, Josh uh, and Sean McDowell put this in their book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And this is what they uh, shared with us about his research. We find that the chance that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled all eight prophecies is one in ten to the 17th power. How do you quantify that? Well, we can't necessarily. Um, But, you know, the uh, mega millions uh, to be won in the United States, the possibility of winning that was one in 302 million. But that's only to the sixth power. So, to the 17th power. It's like covering the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. Maybe that can help you. I still can't wrap my mind around that. An impossibility, right, in human terms. It is totally miraculous. And so, in case you're wondering whether his mathematics were correct... A secular group um, dissected his work and evaluated it and determined that it was accurate. And so 
in regard to the scientific material as it was presented, the mathematical analysis included, um, and the probabilities, which are worth deemed to be thoroughly sound. And so he applied them in a proper and a convincing way. So that's just free, all right? But that's not the authority of Scripture. But now let's look at the prophecies concerning the first advent of Jesus. Uh, if you have your Old Testament ready, go back to the book of Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Now, we know that Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, so you don't want to go to Malachi. You want to go to Micah. It'll be just a few books back from that. All right, so if you find the book of Zechariah, uh, then you go back to Nahum and then Micah. Micah chapter 5, in verse 2, the prophet Micah predicts where... Jesus would be born, where the Messiah would be born. Verse 2, chapter 5, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. That the eternal ruler would be born in this little country town of Bethlehem. About uh, three weeks ago in Sunday school, uh, I was teaching this particular verse to the children, and um, I had two great big huge pieces of uh, paper, they're probably uh, two and a half feet wide by like three feet long, and um, so I said, all right, let's draw a little picture of Bethlehem. So we got some green covered hills and a little road, and we had a couple of small buildings, just a really small village. And so then I said, now let's draw a big city. So they named their picture Monkey City. And they had skyscrapers and fire trucks with ladders and cars. Hopefully the people were parachuting off the top of the buildings. And uh, they had all kinds of crazy things going on. You know, they had the Transamerica Tower in there. And so they had a big city. Well, it wasn't in the big city in which Jesus was born was in this little teeny tiny place called Bethlehem of Ephrata. Now that was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2. So take your Bibles, go to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 2. We'll look at verses 1 through 6. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in those days Herod the king um, let's see, and in those days of Herod the king, behold, three, uh, came, uh, three wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Verse 3, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them, where the Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written in the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem in Judea, uh, art thou not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall uh, rule my people Israel. So how did they know the answer? 
Well, they had to go check the Old Testament Bible and find the answer. Now, the second fact, that he was born of a virgin. Uh, This just is the, the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ. This is a miracle. Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, is a miracle. It defies the laws of humanity. You do not get a baby boy under normal circumstances without the involvement of a man and a woman, a husband and wife. And so for Jesus to be born of the virgin without the instrument of a man, and that this is exclusively the work of God that shows us the miracle. Go back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Thus saith the Lord, I'm sorry, verse 14, not verse 7. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Now let's go over to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. But now look at verse 23, or 22. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. How does a woman have a child without a man? That does not happen. But how did Mary have a child without Joseph being involved or any other man being involved? Well, because that which was conceived in her womb was a direct creation of God the Holy Spirit. One of the evidences for the Trinity, passively speaking. But then it's fulfilled here in Matthew chapter 1 that he is God with us. Now, even today, if you go into a synagogue, and I've been into one up in Oakland, and actually I've been into another one in another part of Oakland, and for Shabbat school on Saturday, and uh, witnessing to Jewish people, trying to show them that Jesus is their Messiah. Um, In the chairs, they won't have the Holy Bible, but they'll have what they call the Torah. It's the five books of Moses, and that's what they teach. And so Moses is looked up to as the pinnacle of prophetic teachers 
in Judaism, even today. He's the highest at, that it can get. I'd like you to take your Bibles and go back to Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses 15 through 19, Moses makes a prediction. He makes a prophetic utterance that a greater prophet than himself would arise. So Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him shall ye hearken, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God. In Horb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord thy God, neither let me see the great fire any more that I die not. And so as Moses came down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, he was glowing. And they actually asked him to wear a veil over his face because he had been in the presence of God. And they were terrified of that. And so Moses says here in verse 15, He's going to raise up a prophet, somebody even greater than me. You've got to listen to him. If you want to live, you're going to have to listen to him. Now let's take our Bibles and go over to the fourth book in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, chapter 7, and look at verse 40. There was all kinds of questions about who is this person called Jesus. They didn't know. But in verse 40 it says, Many of the people therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, This is the prophet. Moses told us that a prophet that is greater and mightier than himself would come. Truly, Jesus is this prophet. And so Jesus fulfilled not just three, but 332 prophecies in the Old Testament. But as he lived his life, Jesus said, look, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to be risen again, and I'm going to ascend to heaven. Well, how do you predict your death and the way that you're going to die? Well, Jesus did that, and it all came true. Jesus predicted that he would be buried and rise again three days later, and that came true. But for simplicity, I'd like us just to look at his promise, John chapter 14, since you're in the Gospel of John. Go over to chapter 14. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to leave. I'm going back to heaven. That scared them. That disturbed them, that unsettled them, it, it riled them. And so in chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Calm down, guys. All right? Don't panic. You believe in God, believe also in me. And so this is where I've taken my proposition today. Uh, believe also in me. So we've looked at the prophecies concerning the first advent. Now let's look at the prophecies concerning the coming or the second advent. 
And so Jesus says in verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, now look at the end of verse 3 very carefully, I will come again. That's his second advent. He's promising that he'll come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. All right, just a little historical sidetrack, just to get you distracted for a second. All right. uh, do you know what happened in 1066? William the Conqueror invaded England from France. He brought 20,000 words from French into the English language. Like hog and pig, what's the difference? Well, one's French, one's English. But did you know the word mansion that's mentioned here in our King James translation does not mean this countryside palatial castle estate? In French, the word mansion means an apartment dwelling. Did I just disappoint you? <laughs> All right. But he says, in my father's house are many mansions. You see, it was the Jewish tradition or the Jewish custom when a young man was going to take his bride that before he could go and have the wedding ceremony, he had to build his addition onto his father's house. And so this is what Jesus is saying. Before I can take you as my bride, those of you who believe in me, I have to go to my father's house and I have to build all of your apartment dwellings because you all have to have a place to be. And if I go and do that, I make a promise. I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. I'm going to go come and get my bride. I'm going to take you to be with me. And so this upset them. And um, Thomas answered, And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. But verse 5, Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Not through our religion, not through the Presbyterian church, not through the Baptist church or any other church, but just through Jesus Christ alone can we have that relationship where we will be with him forever. And that is the way to get to that place that he has made for us. Jesus is that way. He's the truth about that way. He is the life that gives us life so that we can be there. Now, then 40 days um, after Jesus died and raised again from the dead, we have Acts chapter 1, verse 11. So please take your Bibles and go there. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Uh, Jesus has been teaching his disciples, and then two angels in a cloud come and envelop him, and he begins to ascend into heaven. And so Jesus said, look, I'm going to leave you, but if I leave, I promise I'm going to come and get you. So the first part of fulfilling that prophecy is that he has to leave the earth if he's going to come again. So the first part of the prophecy in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, has been fulfilled. Now the second part of the prophecy will be fulfilled. He's going to come again. Acts chapter 1, verse 11, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, 
Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. In a cloud. First Thessalonians 4, we see Christ return in the clouds to bring us to be with him. So the promise of Jesus is, I'm leaving, but I'm going to come back and get you so that you can be with me. I'm coming again. And truly, this might be the day that Jesus comes. Are we ready for his coming? Now, Jesus prophesied that when he comes, the second time, he's going to come in glory. Because the first time, he came in humility. We were just singing about his lowly birth, how Mary, his mother, uh, put him in a manger in that feeding trough of animals with the straw and wrapped him in old, raggedy strips of cloth, swaddling cloth. But the next time he comes, he comes in his glory. And so Jesus prophesied about that. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, verses 31 and 32. And this is what Jesus says. Matthew 25, verses 31 and 32. Verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory... And all the holy angels with him. Then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him he shall gather all nations. And he shall separate them one from another. As a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. So Jesus Christ said, when I come back, I'm coming in glory. And all of my angels are going to come with me. And I'm going to set up my throne, his literal throne on the earth. And then, what's the first thing he does? He has a judgment. And he separates the nations. Hey, listen, this is why it's important for you as an American to share the gospel. Because God judges nations. God is going to judge America. Period. We've got to do our part in preparing our nation to make it into the kingdom. You might say, well, is America in New Testament prophecy? The answer is no, it's not. Does that mean we're not around? I don't know. But it's our responsibility to preach the gospel that Jesus Christ is coming back. Are you ready? Because he's going to come in glory the second time. And he's going to rule and to reign. Now let's get a good glimpse of this. Let's go to the last book of the New Testament, Revelation chapter 19. Let's look at verses 11 through 16. Do you know the lyrics to the Battle Hymn of the Republic? All right, try to think through them in your head. I'll give you a minute to do that. Well, they come from this chapter, Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse... And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, 
that with it he should smite the nations and shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he that treadeth out the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. There's your battle hymn of the Republic. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Did you listen to Handel's Messiah during this holiday season? How many of you did? All right. Uh, I encourage you, go back and listen to Handel's Messiah, uh, the Hallelujah Chorus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I mean, that is, I don't know that there's any better piece of music that sets this title to music than Handel's Messiah. It's beautiful. As a matter of fact, if you, if you look at the lyrics of Handel's Messiah, it's all scripture. And it talks about his first coming and his second coming. I thought maybe instead of preaching a message, maybe I should just read the lyrics of Handel's Messiah to you today. All right. But the power of Jesus. So we saw the prophecies of the Old Testament, his first advent, now the prophecies of a second advent. Now, what do we do with all of this? Let's just talk about this for a moment and make practical use out of all this information that we're getting. What do you do with the fact that Jesus is coming again? Well, let's go over to 1 Thessalonians in our New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and look at verses 12 and 13. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in what? Love. One toward another and toward all men, even as you do, uh, we do toward you, to the end that he may establish your hearts uh, unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father. And what's the next phrase? At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. God is saying, love one another. Do you think America could use a healthy dose of that right now? Could we just love one another instead of shooting one another up, being angry at one another, yelling and screaming at one another, belittling, berating? Can't we just love one another? We, we need to love one another because Jesus Christ is coming again. And he says, until I come, love one another. That would be a beautiful thing if we would love one another. Let's go over to uh, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44. Did I say Matthew 22? All right, I want you to add two to that. Matthew 24. In the 24th chapter of Matthew, the 42nd verse through the 44th verse. Verse 42. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready... For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man. All right, a couple of practical things here. Uh, don't ever get deceived by listening to somebody that says on Thursday at 11 o'clock on January 17th, uh, 2022, Jesus Christ is coming back. Don't go there because we don't know. 
all right? And uh, so that's one warning. But the fact is we need to keep in thought. We need to think about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. I'm going to tell you something. It's going to calm your heart down. It's going to put a sense of sovereignty and God's control in current events into your heart and into your life. You're not going to be so disturbed about what's going on in our nation and around this world because you know that Jesus is coming back. Watch for it. Think about it. Be ready for him to come back. Third one, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. I'm just going to fly through the rest of these. But these are the practical applications of how we use this knowledge, the Bible doctrine of prophecy. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, you may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. To abide in him means to take up your residence in him. How do you abide in Jesus? By reading this book. I invite you to join me this year and read through the Bible. If you have a smartphone, you can get an app that will plan out your Bible reading for the whole year for you. Download that phone, uh, that app to your phone and set up a reading plan and go through the Bible the whole year. Folks, it's not that hard to read through the Scriptures, so I encourage you to do that. But abide in the Word of God. Um, very quickly, next week is the first Sunday of the month, first Sunday of the new year. On the first Sunday of the month, what do we have? Communion. And so we need to partake in communion. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. For as often as you uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till he what? Till he comes. Communion is an event of anticipation. Jesus Christ is coming back. I don't know, and I'm not going to judge, but how many of you had communion last year? I hope you did. I hope every time that communion is available that you're here. It's something that you're supposed to do. First uh, Thessalonians 5, chapter, two, um, verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 2 through 8, uh, it exhorts us to sober-mindedness. That means to take things seriously. Take your faith seriously. Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? And then in closing, I want to just exhort uh, us from Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Let's turn there in closing, and then we'll be done with the message. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of Oh, Lord, you know that you need to repent so that you can be saved, but you'll never see the future if you don't repent. There is a time coming when Jesus Christ comes back that humanity has never witnessed. A time of great peace and prosperity, a time of justice. People live the way that they should live when Jesus Christ reigns on earth. You don't want to miss out on that. So repent 
and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Today, the proposition was just very simple. You can believe in Jesus. Will you do that? With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to have a closing word of prayer. And those that will be baptized, you can go forward and start getting ready. Father God, we come to you. Thank you for the fulfillment of prophecies in the first advent. Thank you that you have promised that you would come again. And that we have absolute confidence in the integrity of your word and the prophecies and the promises that you have made to us. Lord, we're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to take our faith seriously. We're supposed to be watching. Uh, And Lord, for those that don't know you, they need to repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. They need to turn to you, turn away from all other things. So may this be the day that they put their faith in you. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, but um, what I'd like to know is if, can I pray with you that if you would like to be saved, would you just raise your hand and say, yes, please pray with me. I would like to be saved. Is there anybody today? Okay, let's pray. Father, we come to you and thank you that we can just believe in you, put our simple trust in you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we shall be saved. Thank you for that simple promise that if we'll turn away from ourselves and turn to Jesus, that will be saved. We just ask that you would be with our friends and family, that they would also come to know you, that they would repent and be converted, and that their sins would be blotted.